Yes, guys. Yes. Okay, everyone. Hello, and welcome to Monero's fifth Moneroversary, as we're calling it, the fifth anniversary of Monero's launch. We're really happy to have you on. Uh, there's a large number of people here on to help us. Uh, yeah, we have a large number of people on here to answer questions and to participate uh, in um, learning about Monero's history and sort of what cool developments are going on. We have a good talk with uh, Ricardo Fluffy Pony uh, and Diego Rirar to speak a little bit later. And then um, to start us off, though, we want to kick in with the Vienna Meetup Group. So we have uh, Binary Fate in one of the Binary Fate with us, who is a Monero Core team member. And then we also have the uh, just an image of people that are at the Meetup. So can you please... Uh, at this meetup, say hi to us, introduce yourselves, and show off all the cool stuff you have there. Hey, hello. Um, hello from Vienna. Um, we had a full day of a lot of Monero cakes, and um, we had a lot of um, different things going on in Vienna. So we had um, um, the traditional Monero cake cutting, <laughs> uh, and we had a lot of um, different talks with a short um, introduction about um, different elements we have been doing here. Uh, we had a lot of, um, a full day actually of people like uh, coming by and um, um, talking about um, Monero related uh, issues. Um, basically, um, we are here in the Riot Institute in Vienna and it's a, uh, it's a place where we are fostering um, privacy and cryptography and we're trying to also make this available to uh, a large amount of people. And um, there's also a, um, quite, um, semi-large um, semi um, Monero meetup here. So we had a lot of different people coming by, like um, learning about uh, Monero, learning about um, uh, the history of cryptocurrency, but also because privacy is a large uh, topic and a huge topic in Europe these days, uh, it was important to uh, stress the fact that um, private cryptocurrency and privacy in cryptocurrency um, is something um, that um, still is somehow a niche and we are trying to um, change that and I think Monero is um, um, on the right way to do that and um, the Monero meetup is existing since um, uh, two years now uh, in Vienna and uh, yeah we are happy um, uh, to bring together a few people that are interested in pushing these kind of agendas. Um, we also had the um, CCC um, uh, uh, kind of um, uh, the Cast Communication Congress Thing going on in the past years and we will um, actually do this also next year or actually this year again so this was also good for us to to um, gather people and to plan for the upcoming uh, 36 c3 meeting in Leipzig which will be in December so for us it was a, a great day and a long day actually of a lot of different Monero related events and um, you've seen maybe the, the um, cake cutting in the in the morning we made this um, Kind of small scenery where we were um, also throwing a lot of um, confetti around and like celebrating a little bit and throughout the day a lot of more people were coming so we had um, different uh, uh, fun uh, um, things going on and a lot of cake and we still have one of the cakes we can actually cut uh, with you guys here yay <laughs> and we will eat this and uh, i hope everyone has has the the omonero cake ready <laughs> Uh, we know that Jitsi supports transferring objects over live stream, so we can receive our, our, our virtual cake over here. Is that is that is that the whole point of Tari Ricardo is for us to be able to transfer 
cakes over the internet? I know I don't want to ruin the surprise, but that's one of the first things we're working on is replicated technology. I knew it. I mean, it's you know, it's it's just it's what a blockchain is designed for, really. <laughs> All right, we, I saw that you had quite a few people that uh, attended today for your workshops at, at RIA. You were tweeting um, quite a few pictures and, and materials from the events. What were some of the workshops uh, about that you had there? Um, Marcus, can you actually explain a little bit because you were tweeting the whole day? You were... uh, yeah, I was tweeting all day. Hey, everybody. I'm just getting next to it, which is. So, yeah, what was happening? Like, we started early in the day, like, and obviously, it was like as always, like um, people get get together. We were discussing the whole day what was about to happen, and we started off with some some getting to know each other, and then continued on like in specific various topics on like privacy by default, as I always was tweeting about. So it's like very important um, that we all. Um, Stay stay close to the privacy topic, as we all say, like in terms of fungibility, in terms of um, how the future of Monero, like in privacy point related issues, are is being advanced. And we pretty much invited everyone to come over and um, you know participate in this whole debate and um, you know kind of like carry the spirit into in our everyday lives. So we had this uh, kind of like quote, quote, adoption um, machine. So everyone was invited to get to know Monero, like having his first um, wallet kind of like in his hands, you know, get, you know, asking all kinds of questions. Then we actually had this uh, drawing robot of ours, which you know, was a fun thing to do. You know, maybe some of you noticed it. <clears throat> like, it's like a, a two-dimensional drawing robot from kind of like remembering from the ancient days, like, uh, working on uh, a 2D scale, uh, drawing Monero logos and all that stuff. So it was really fun. It was cool, like people enjoying it and hanging around. And then later that day, like uh, there was like some more advanced lectures on like, I don't know, like all, all kinds of like, uh, like <clears throat> how Monero evolved, how, what the community was about, like some uh, more privacy enhanced, uh, enhanced uh, figures, you know, Ring City stuff. You know, like, what, what, what. <clears throat> yeah, so for our um, context, it was important to actually also uh, recap what was happening in the in the past uh, meetup. So um, since um, um, we had um, a lot of like, different um, topics in the past meetups happening, we were a little bit recapping, okay, how, how were we growing? We are approximately 300 members right now. Not all of the 300 people, of course, came, but we had a lot of different um, topics we have been covering um, over the past uh, years. So also, um, Justin, you have been um, there at the first initial meetup, I remember. So we were, of course, also recapping this a little bit, also um, showing a little bit how Monero was changing over the past years, how um, um, there's still the Monero difference, but also like um, technically a lot of things have, have changed. So we had, um, of course, bulletproofs, which were a big improvement. Um, we have been discussing also with Binary a little bit um, how ASIC resistance as a topic is a very strong um, um, it sounds very strong, and, um, and still we want to keep this kind of um, security properties with Monero in order to, to have a, a truly decentralized uh, currency, but what are the, the, um, the limits of that? So is, is it really possible to achieve this kind of ASIC resistance in the, the long run? 
is what would be alternatives that wouldn't be um, achievable in a way? Would that actually mean that we lose um, um, this kind of properties of a, of, a, um, of a truly decentralized and private currency? So these were all like things we were like briefly discussing with um, different audiences. So it was actually spread over the whole day. And um, yeah, um, a lot of fun, a lot of cake, a lot of confetti. Um, yeah, so we had a great time. We still have a great time there. Yeah, it was great to hear with you. Thank you so much for having the initial countdown live stream for everyone to see um, early this morning, at least here in the U.S. I know it was still in the morning for you. It was it was perhaps uh, what 6 a.m. my time, and it was even earlier for people further out west. So it was an early one, but I'm glad that you were able to have it up for people to have as a nice reference. Is there anything that uh, you want to leave us with before we jump into the the history of Monero to get people started up for, for today? More go on, we, we are really um, happy to hear the history. This is important. Excellent. So uh, thank you again for having such a good in-person meetup there in Vienna. It's really important for us to have these in-person groups. And I, I know that we've worked together in the past to make some really good resources that, that your organization shares during the CCC. And I know that we can take advantage of it at other meetups and other events. So we really appreciate you doing that for the community. Um, so... Thank you, Parasev. Thank you, Binary Fates. Thank you, uh, Nevton, and everyone else who is there in person. Uh, we really appreciate everything that you do. So, um, you know, I was happy to help speak with your group. I, I was thrilled, of course, that you set it up for the sake of me starting to speak there. And uh, we wish you the best of luck. Many years of cake going forward. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you for checking in with us. Um, at this point, I'm going to move on to the second topic of the agenda, which is to move to have an interview of sorts with uh, Ricardo Fluffy Pony Spagni. He is uh, obviously the lead developer of Monero, right? Right. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Obviously, uh, that's still the main title you go by. Lead maintainer. You know, lead <laughs> maintainer is probably probably closer to reality than developer. I know. I know that's something that you typically correct people on in all the podcasts. You're like, this is the founder and lead developer. He's single-handedly putting new blocks on the Monero chain, yeah. uh, of course. It's, it's like EOS, but you know, with one person. <laughs> yeah, it's decentralized, though, of course. Totally. <laughs> all right. So, um. Ricardo, can you kick us off with sort of the very early history of Monero? How and why did it start? What drew you and others to the project in the first place? So I, I think, I mean, as in preparation for this, I went and looked back at old IRC logs. I have IRC logs from 2013 and 2014. So it's super convenient because I can actually go back and like read the stuff and it's been, you know, just, just the past couple of days, just digging into those logs. And I mean, it, it's, you know, it's very dense. So I, I certainly didn't read everything, but um, there were some highlights and some, some choice things I picked up. So I figured like what would be really um, interesting is, is to give people a little bit of background um, and then sort of tell my personal story. Obviously, there are people at the beginning that have other personal stories um, that I'm sure they, they will share over time as well. But um, so just, you know, sort of a little bit of background is uh, CryptoNote was um, the white paper that Monero was originally based on. Um, and CryptoNote started off as like good in theory, but it shipped with this like really badly done scam coin. Bad not from 
like a coding perspective, although that was another story, but badly done because the whole scam was, hey guys, we've just discovered accidentally by chance this cryptocurrency that no one has heard of, but that has been in existence for several years. And it's been in existence on the dark web, and that's why you haven't heard of it, because nobody's gone on the dark web and discovered it. Um, which, of course, everyone that read that was like, but we've gone on the dark web and we've never heard of it. So the scam kind of started falling apart from the beginning because you can't pull the wool over like everyone's eyes. Just ask Craig Wright. Um, and, uh, and it sort of started to, to get a little bit messy. But part of the scam was, and we, you know, we sort of discovered this over time, was that they were going to release a bunch of, uh, of forks. And then the forks were going to sort of just provide additional, I guess, provide additional income because they would be able to, to they would have all this knowledge and they'd be able to mine it much faster than everyone else. Um, or at least with, you know, they, they'd start mining it much faster than everyone else. At any rate, what they didn't count on is human ingenuity um, and uh, the ability for people to like make good of a bad situation. So in many ways, Monero started off on this really rocky foundation. So there's this guy called Thankful for Today, total sock, sock puppet for the crypto node Bitcoin scammers. And Thankful for Today goes and launches the first fork of uh, this crypto node reference implementation. And he calls it BitMonero, which in um, Esperanto literally means Bitcoin because Monero means coin. So, you know, not a, not a fantastic name, but that aside, um, everything else you know, like is fairly good from a launch perspective. He announces it on Bitcoin Talk a couple of days before the launch. Um, he tries to make binaries available um, uh, and, you know, like make sure that uh, that he's around to provide a little bit of support. Um, so, you know, not bad from a launch perspective, apart from the general scamminess. And very quickly, I mean, I like I went and actually checked my logs and this is now, uh, let me actually open my logs actually. I can make sure I'm accurate. By the time like April the 27th rolls around, um, we're already in our own chat room on Freenode. So we've already moved from BitMonero to Monero. Um, and I mean, this is, you know, April 27th is what? That's like, you know, less than 10 days after launch. Um, and, uh, and we're already having like a big disagreement with him. So, you know, really within two weeks, uh, he'd already lost control. The community had effectively, uh, they'd effectively been a coup, and he was ousted. Not not in a um, not ousted in sort of like a you know you you don't belong yes sort of way, but more in a well we're doing this thing. You can go do your thing, um, and let's see who follows us. And of course, the community, in its infinite wisdom, decided to follow a bunch of randoms who had no idea what they were doing instead of the guy that launched it, which. Is of course interesting because you know you would expect it to have gone the other route but just some some choice things so some you know my personal journey began um when uh, the 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 crypto note um thing was uncovered and the whole like dark web um uh, launch secret launch or the you know not so secret whatever thing was uh, was revealed and uh these are the logs from from rc and I get this like message on RC from a guy I know quite well, and he says, "Morning, did you take a look at CryptoNote?" So I'm like, "No." So he links me to it. 
Um, and he says, well, it's based on ring signatures for transactions, making it anonymous. Could either totally fail or be the next big thing. So <laughs> I went and read up a little bit and I was like, oh, you know, this thing's kind of interesting. And, um, and you know, looked at the, I looked at the, the code and it was clear that it wasn't based on Bitcoin. And I said something that, you know, like, like really uh, stuck with me. I said to him, oh, yeah, the problem will be that it's not Bitcoin or based on Bitcoin. So everything has to be re-engineered. And little did I know that what that actually meant, you know, for me was that I would be the one like getting stuck in and trying to help people re-engineer stuff. Um, you know, I thought like, oh, you know, this is interesting. Other people will go and re-engineer. Uh, I never expected that I would have to go and herd cats and do a bunch of stuff myself. Um, other choice bits that are interesting from Manura's really early history. So this is 27th of, of April. Um, is after launch, we have this bot in the channel called Bot Monero. Get it? Because Bit Monero. And uh, you could query Bot Monero and you could ask it things like, what's the current difficulty? What's the current block height? What's the estimated hash rate? So 27th of April and the hash rate's about 7,400 hashes per second. So, I mean, like, it's like let, that, let that sit in your mind for a bit um, because, you know, Monero currently, I mean, the, the mining network, even before we uh, had ASICs on the network, even before we forked, in, before we did any of, any of that, was significantly larger than 7,400 hashes per second. Uh, also, same day, 27th of April, um, this guy called Zone117X gets invited into the channel. Uh, he was the, is the developer of NOMP. And uh, there's this whole discussion about, hey, so um, there is no mining pool software for Monero um, or for CryptoNotes in general. The only way you can mine it is solo mining with the CPU, not with the GPU. And there's this whole discussion of, hey, would it be possible to add support for Monero to NOMP? And this, this very serious discussion about how very dif difficult this would be because none of the RPC calls are the same. Everything is different. Uh, fast forward to the next day, the 28th of April, the hash rate has gone up to 9,300 hashes per second. Um, the 28th of April as well was interesting because um, th that the, uh, there was an OTC market that started on Bitcoin Talk. And by that stage, 28th of April, um, I mean, the first OTC trade was on the 22nd of April. So, you know, the OTC market had been running for a little bit. For those that are interested in price, the very first um, OTC trade recorded for Monero was 1,000 Monero that was sold for 0 0.5 Bitcoin. Um, at the time, Bitcoin was at about $500. So that means uh, they paid about $250 for 1,000 Monero, uh, which is now worth $70,000 um, if they held on to it. Um, and uh, for those interesting, or for those interested rather, uh, it was A's who bought the 1,000 Monero, and who did he buy it? I can't even remember who he bought it from. Oh, he bought it from Noodle Doodle. So, I mean, this is like super early on. And then 29th of April, we broke 10,000 hashes per second, which was really, uh, you know, monumental in our minds. Um, and then last sort of interesting tidbit from Monero's really early history was the 30th of April, and again, this just really goes to show how little we knew and how we were, we were still so inexperienced in many ways. Um, was 30th of April, Taco Time, um, who, Taco Time was really the guy that 
did the actual act of forking the Monero repository on GitHub. So um, Taco Time was logged into the Monero uh, project account um, or had, you know, had set up the credentials for the Monero project account on his computer. And he's not familiar with, uh, with Git at all. And he's trying to get Git working and he's trying to, um, you know, like commit stuff and submit a pull request. Um, and anyway, he ends up messing it up so badly that the Monero project GitHub account opens a pull request on the BitMonero uh, repository um, on the BitMonero project GitHub account. It's still there today. It's the second pull request that's open on the BitMonero project slash uh, BitMonero uh, repo. It's still open. You know, I mean, thankful for today, just never, just abandoned and never, obviously never merged it, but never closed it either. Um, and it's pretty hilarious. It's like this weird piece of history where we were just like, where Taco Time was super confused about Git and ended up opening this pull request in the wrong place and totally the wrong way. And it lives there in perpetuity. I don't think anyone's ever going to log in and close it. So that's like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's like super early history. That's April 2014, five years ago, when we knew nothing. We had no idea what we were doing. Um, I, I thought at the time, I mean, I'd like read the white paper, um, didn't understand half of it. I mean, I understood some and then didn't understand other important bits. And somehow, in my mind, I thought that ring signatures applied to outputs and not inputs, which is a story for another day. So, I mean, it was really early days. We were super confused. We didn't know what we were doing. We were picking up all these pieces that other people had dropped. Um, and it was, it was an interesting time. There was nothing, really. I know that you've described... The, the sort of the acquisition of Monero is someone depositing a baby on your doorstep and you you've take this responsibility because you assume no one else can do it better. But sort of at that moment, how did can you walk us through how you sort of went through the process of essentially triage? OK, you have this cryptocurrency. How do you prioritize what really receives work? Like, how do you how do you how did you even figure out what needed work? And how did you determine what to put your efforts to? And how do you find people that can even work on that? Can you walk us through that very in first initial exploration process? Sure. So, so we were blessed with a couple of things. Um, the first was we had Taco Time and Noodle Doodle who were um, super willing to do work. And, to, and they were like extremely talented C++ developers, um, you know, for all that, that, like Tagger Time couldn't figure out how GitHub worked um, or Git. Like he was really good at C++. So we had this initial spurt of like very basic things that needed to be done. So as an example, there were no Mac binaries. Um, in fact, it didn't compile on Mac at all. So one of the early things was like, you know, just knuckling down, getting it compiling on Mac. Um, and then it's like, cool, now we've got Linux working, we've got Mac working. Okay, we're sort of getting there. Um, it was working, oh, it was compiling in, on Windows in um, uh, C++.net. Uh, so, I mean, that was a whole thing as well, because, like, you've basically got this entirely separate build infrastructure for Windows, which is in this, like, fantastic IDE, and then everything else is command line, and it's, like, super trippy. One of the things that was really difficult for us as well is there were no code comments. Uh, and I mean, literally no code comments. It, it was actually as if someone had taken the code that, that a bunch of people had worked on, full of comments, and they'd gone, let's strip out all the comments before we make this available publicly. 
So that was really difficult because you had no idea why certain decisions were made, what the thinking was, what the reasoning was, why, you know, like where to find things. Everything you wanted to know, you had to backtrack. You had to go and like dig in, oh, this class is like references. Okay, now we've got to go to that class. Like you had to, I mean, you just lived on the command line in grep trying to find things. Do you think that was? Do you think that was essentially deliberate for the point of trying to prevent someone else from taking the code and maintaining it themselves? Do you think it was try to to literally prevent exactly what you did? Um, I suspect. I suspect. So, I mean, I've been thought about this. I mean, why would anyone strip out code comments if not to infuriate anyone that's trying to work on it? It was almost to make to to keep them as the. Um, the, the center of truth, the center of knowledge, like, you know, anything you want to do, you can't really do it, but they can do it because they have access to the, like, original source that is full of code comments. Um, and, and so that was, you know, it, it felt a little, a little cruel. Um, and it also led to, to some people being publicly infuriated by the code. Most famously, Peter Todd, who um, took a look at the code, tried to dig in a bit, and then eventually just said, I'm sorry, I can't. Uh, publicly and uh it was you know you sort of look at that and you're like okay like why would anyone do that well obviously it's it's um it's to retain control um and to to really think about how much adversity the developers the community everyone had to overcome um is phenomenal um it's it's i'm really just proud of all the effort that everyone put in to, to get back to your original question, though, uh, how do you decide what to work on? So, you know, there were several major problems that we identified early on. The first was the blockchain was in RAM. So that meant that the blockchain could only grow as big as the memory on your computer. Um, and then periodically, every eight hours, or however often it was, yeah, I think it was every eight hours, it would save that blockchain from memory onto disk. Um, and then when you quit, it would also save it onto disk. This was, of course, ridiculous and unworkable. Other things that were really interesting were um, that, uh, you know, th there was no like mnemonic system like we have today with the seed words. You would create a wallet, it would use two random keys. And then if you ever got rid of that wallet file, keys are gone forever. No way to recover them. Um, there was also no like plain text way of saving them. You literally had to save that file um, in some sort of non-volatile way and hope that you could recover it in future. Um, other issues that we had uh, were no pool, no pool software, no way to mine Monero except Solo mine, no GPU miner when the GPU miner was cl clearly possible. Um, what else was was painful? Uh, no GUI, no GUI. Oh, that was the other one. Man, people complained about that a lot. Um, so we sort of tried to tackle a million things at this time um, because, again, you know, it's this nascent project. We don't really know what we're doing. So we're like, okay, um, you know, oh, we need a GUI. And so we start on that. And then at the same time, someone else is like, oh, we need pull software and sort of start down that. And so you're trying to just like get to all these things at the same time. And then we, we tried really hard. And I think after like six, seven, eight months, really towards the end of 2014, that's when we really got hard with ourselves and we were like, okay, some of these things are just not gonna happen. So we scrapped the GUI software. Um, for, for the moment, we did the, we, at that point in time, we had the designs ready. We had um, this basic framework that was compiling in QT. Um, it was almost ready to start hooking it up. We just 
didn't have the time, we didn't have the resources, we didn't have the energy. Um, pool software was more important. Uh, GPU mining, well, you know, somebody would work on that. Eventually, Wolf worked on it, and you know, stuff started getting released um, at some point. But it was really, it it, it was really difficult at the beginning. Um, it, everything was painful. Everything required like in-depth research. And I'll give you a classic example of of this, and that is the the blockchain in RAM. So the blockchain's in memory. We need to get the blockchain out of memory. It's not feasible for it to be in memory. Um, and there's t super big time constraints on this because once the blockchain starts hitting like four gigs, then even if you have more than four gigs of RAM, you can't save it to disk on 32-bit systems. So, you know, we, we've got a limited time frame for 32-bit systems. And obviously, I mean, especially in 2014, how many people had more than like four gigs of memory, you know, I mean, that, that was not that common. Um, and uh, a lot of people who did have more only had eight gigs of memory, so we would still have a problem like pretty soon thereafter. So, you know, we're, we're sort of trying to tackle that, and then we go, okay, so we need to have this blockchain in a database. What should that look like? Um, well, okay, what does Bitcoin do? You know, it's the first question we always asked was like, what does Bitcoin do? Okay, Bitcoin... Um, did level DB and then they, or Berkeley DB and then they switched to level DB. So should we do that? Is this a good choice for our workload? You know, because we we don't we weren't really very big on like not invented yes syndrome. Um, Taco Time had contributed to Bitcoin um, and uh, had a bunch of ideas of his own, um, and and obviously like other people just came with, with sort of a more fresh approach. Uh, but everyone had a great deal of respect for what Bitcoin had accomplished. And so it was like, okay, what did Bitcoin do? Should we do it differently? And if we're going to do it differently, why? So one of those early discussions was, um, was around the database. And um, I went and, and did a bunch of research. And I found this thing called HamsterDB, which seemed really interesting because it had like the free open source version. And then it also had a closed source um, version, which was slightly faster, or I think significantly faster, which was great for, um, you know, like enterprise environments. So I thought this was kind of a nice mix because you can have the open source one that everyone runs. And then if you are like an enterprise environment or a, let's say an exchange or a mining pool or whatever, you can then go and use the, the faster commercial version and go pay for it. Um, and, and in this research, I came across the, this one set of benchmarks and it was like comparing all these like level DB folks and hamster DB and some other things. Um, and then like, it, it had this weird thing called LMDB. And in like some of the benchmarks, LMDB just blew everything out the water. And I was like, whoa, this is, what is this thing? Like, why is no one talking about it? Everything that I read on embedded databases is like level DB, level DB forks, um, and then occasionally a couple of others. Oh, you know, SQLite. It's the other one that gets thrown in all the time. And why is no one talking about LMDB? It's so weird. And then I went and like checked the LMDB, uh, like went and did an actual search for LMDB um, uh, uh, things like comparisons that people had made and where they'd actually they'd given it actual workloads and they'd benchmarked it. Um, and I found like, you know, a couple of, of people who had written things where they like, they were critical of LMDB. And then, then a couple of things where people had like lots of love for LMDB. And so I was like, you know, this, this is really interesting. It's kind of like the underdog. And I have like, and I, I guess, you know, I mean, I have an affinity to underdogs in a way. Um, I guess that's why I started working on Monero in the first place. 
And so I was like, well, maybe what I'll do is I'll get a hold of the developer and I'll just ask him and I'll say to him like, hey, we want to use um, LNDB in a cryptocurrency. Like, what do you think of it for our workloads? So, you know, I managed to like figure out that he was an IRC and I sent him a message and it's, of course, it's Howard Chu, HYC. And so I sent Howard a message and I was like, you know, again, I've got these early logs where we're having this discussion and he's like, yeah, Hmm, cryptocurrency, you know, you'd see he's kind of mad at it. Um, and uh, he gave me a couple of pointers. And so then we started building. We, we were not confident in LMDB at all. Um, and so we started building like LMDB as like the main one, but like a level DB backup, you know, so like that we could just use Rocks DB or something if uh, LMDB didn't pan out. Um, and so we had this blockchain DB generic class and then specific implementations. And uh, we started building this and then we'd get stuck with some stuff and then I'd ping Howard and I'd be like, hey, you know, like we're a little bit struggling with this a little bit. What do you think? And uh, he'd pop into Monero Dev on RSC and he'd help us a little bit and then he'd disappear and uh, we'd carry on. And then I think just by like pulling him in the whole time, eventually he got so like interested and excited that he's become a major Monero contributor and a, a major part of Monero's ecosystem. Um, and it all started from like those early discussions of like, hey, we'd like to use the thing you built um, and, you know, not asking him for help really in terms of like implementation. We did that, but asking him for just pointers, yeah, and pointers there. Um, and it just goes to show that like people fall in love with Monero. They fall in love with this project where it has just, it has heart. And I think that that is, you asked, how do you attract people to, to work on the project? And I think there is, there's, no other way to describe it. The thing that Monero has, which most projects do not have, except for Bitcoin and a handful of others, is a heart. And, and you just, if you get to know it, especially from a development perspective, um, especially in the early days where there were no code comments, the test framework was kind of mature, but still didn't implement a bunch of things. Um, there were no builds for like a bunch of platforms. Everything was terrible. Um, the code was awful in many ways, but you fell in love with it because it was like this piece of clay and you could, you, you look, you had this lump of clay and you were like, I can see what the pot looks like when I'm done. If I put it on one of those um, big rotate things and I have a bunch of water and I pour the water on it and I mold it and then someone comes behind me and puts their arms around me whilst I'm doing that, I will end up with this lovely vase and you could see that. Um, you could see the potential, but that's all you could see because everything was a mess. Um, and just falling in love with it at the beginning with this lumpy piece of clay, I could see that happen for other people and, and for, other, for other developers that pitched up that wanted to work on it and that have stuck around for years, um, not for personal gain, but just out of sheer interest in what Monero can be. Awesome. So we're about halfway through. So I'm going to move on to a few other questions. Uh, but the first one I want to ask is if you had to do this entire process all over again, I know it would be a rough process, but what do you wish you knew when you were going through this process that would have helped you out a lot? Um, that's a good question. I, I think I wish I, I wish that I had, I mean, obviously I wish I had the knowledge now that I had then. Um, I wish I had known what people wanted and needed um, out of 
the software early on. Um, you know, we had to bash our head a lot um, in terms of figuring that out. And it's, it's been equal parts rewarding and challenging and frustrating. Um, but I really wish I knew what people really wanted because it's, um, you, it's such a hard thing to read. You know, people complained about the GUI, the GUI, the GUI, and they need the GUI, they want the GUI. And it took us a few years to get it out because we were, we were so priority, we prioritized security and, and just getting things working. And when we did release it, then we had a lot of really positive feedback from people that were like, cool, the GUI. And then also just a bunch of like negative feedback from people that are like, this is not what I expected. You know, like I just wanted a thing that would start up and work magically and not run a full load. Um, and it's, you know, like, it, like, I don't know. I mean, maybe if we knew now or knew then what we know now, maybe what we would have done is just like put a gigantic pause on things and be like, look, these are the 10 things that we need to do before anyone can use Monero. And between now and then, like the only way you're going to use it is the command line. And that's it, tough. Um, we're not going to have easy access tools. Our time frame on getting these tools out to you is like five years. Like deal with it. And, and maybe that would have been a better approach um, instead of chasing our tail constantly. Um, I, I also think that we've spent a lot of time getting a lot of hate um, and a lot of negativity from people for various reasons. Uh, Monero just is that project that some people love to hate, whether it is because they're in competition, whether it is because they're jealous, um, whether it is that they legitimately believe their thing is better, I don't know and I don't really care. But we've dealt with a lot of hate, uh, like more than usual. I mean, I'm used to hate on the internet. I'm used to people being like massive douchebags and eh, it's fine. It's water for ducks back. You don't like survive on the internet unless you can take a bit of abuse. But Monero has really had a lot of aggressive abuse hurled at it, um, a lot of unnecessary uh, public abuse, um, and we've survived through all of that and prospered. Um, but I wish that I'd ha I had known then what I know now, because I probably would have been able to like bolster things and, and prep us at least mentally and emotionally for some of that. Um, because we were not prepared. We thought that everyone would love us and think that we're the darling of, um, of new tech because we're helping people, it's privacy, it's great. Awesome, so can you explain a little bit, as Monero got larger, there was a, a requirement that you really understood what was going on with Monero's code and how to improve it. And of course, you also had other sort of work groups of sorts, you had other coalitions of people that came together to to negotiate things about Monero's protocol and how Monero did things a little bit better. So can you walk us through the initial formation of the first few work groups, the, the, um, the Monero economic work group and the Monero research lab? How did that sort of get off the ground? And what was the real importance in Monero's legacy there that these were started, even if, for example, the Monero economic work group isn't really a, a thing anymore? Sure. So I think, okay, so, you know, second one at a time, the Monero Research Lab um, was formed because, like, 
again, you know, we felt um, as developers um, that I mean, we had some really amazing people. You know, we had Smooth, who is um, an absolute genius. And, you know, like I, I can come up with this like harebrained scheme and be like, what did, like, what if we did this and we did that? And then this cool thing did that. And then Smooth will just take one look at it and be like, oh, yeah, but that's trivially, trivially broken because someone can do this. Ding. And then it's like, oh, okay, yeah. I can see how that's trivially broken. Um, so you have him and you, and we had like Taco Time who also just came with this like incredible deep knowledge of cryptographic systems and how everything like fits together. Um, but we lacked, I think, formal acad academia. Um, and so one of the things that I did really early on was I was like, okay, yeah, you're right. We need we need some formal academia involved. In particular, we need to understand this white paper properly. Um, and so I went onto Reddit, and I went onto I think it was the for hire subreddit, and I googled for like mathematician, and I came across this guy, um, and he was offering um, maths classes, and uh, you know offering assistance with homework and stuff like that. But his credentials were pretty solid. So I sent him a message and I was like, hey, so we can't pay much, but we can pay you a little bit of money um, to like annotate this white paper um, and that, that we have because we don't really understand it that well. And he was like, um, okay, cool. And this was Brandon um, Saray. And he was like, okay, I, like that's cool. I can do that. And this is how much I'll, I'll charge you. And, you know, we came to an agreement there. And then like he sort of started and he was like, well, I've got this friend who's more familiar with cryptography. Um, and what if he helped me and we did it together? And uh, I, I think we didn't even like change the rate. In fact, they gave us the same rate, um, you know, for both of them to do it. Um, and it really, it was such a small amount of money. It was ridiculous. But like they were academics at university and, and like we needed the help and they needed that little bit of money. And so everything sort of came together. Uh, anyway, his friend was Sarang. Um, and so they both got involved. Um, and like at the beginning, like we had this discussion about when you publish this, cause they started working on it. We said like, when you publish this, what, what name are you going to publish this under? And he was like, I don't know. Let me go and speak to my advisor and I'll come back to you. So he spoke to his advisor and his advisor was like, Oh, cryptocurrency can be a little bit dodgy. Um, maybe don't publish it under your own name. You can always go and like later on and be like, oh, you know, yeah, I'm connecting my real name to my pseudonym. And so we decided we needed a pseudonym. So I said to him, okay, you know, why don't you guys come up with a pseudonym scheme and, you know, then we can do that. So he was like, okay, cool. So he went away and came back and he said, they decided the pseudonym scheme they're going to use is their surname is going to be Notha um, and their first name will start with an S. So they're going to be Saray Notha and Sarang Notha. Great. So that was really the start of the Monero Research Lab uh, with the two of them. And shortly after they, they, not that shortly, I'd say, you know, within a few months of them starting and doing this great big annotation of white papers, um, we came across uh, this other guy who pitched up and wanted to like help contribute on the research side. And we were like, well, you can contribute on the research side, but then you need to join the Monero Research Lab, which is like this open collaborate collaboration and if you're going to do that you need to have a first name that starts with s and then your surname needs to be nota your suit you for your pseudonym and he was like okay i'll be shen shen nota great 
So now we have three people. Um, at, and that's sort of like how it snowballed. Um, and it was just this like these people that would like speak a little bit to each other online and bounce ideas around. Um, and then I went to um, Salt Lake City in Utah and uh, flew Saray Sarang and Shen all into Salt Lake City. Well, I think Shen, stayed, or Shen was nearby and whatever. Anyway, they all came and we hung out in Salt Lake City for like a weekend um, and uh, drove around. I, I was there visiting my business partner um, and he had an Audi TT. And it was hilarious because like we crammed into this Audi TT and at one point it was like, I think there were like four of us, no, five of us in an Audi TT. That car does not have a lot of space. I don't actually know how we managed to fit in there. And of course, being South African, like, you know, I'm, I'm not like that familiar with mileage and like how much mileage you get when you're measuring miles and your gas is not measured in liters. Um, and uh, my business partner told me that the gas gauge was broken, but I like forgot. And so he was like, you probably have like 100 miles or whatever it was. And I totally forgot. And we ran out of gas on the highway. And thankfully, it was like near, an inter uh, near a, a slipway coming off the highway. And we sort of just ground, like, like rolled to a halt on the side of the highway. Um, and the Monero Research Lab and I had to walk to a petrol station and get like a little thing of gas and go back up and like pour it into the tank and then drive the car down to like fill it up properly. And that was early, that was the first Monero Research Lab meetup where we, again, you know, like just had no idea what we were doing and no idea what we were getting into, but we were trying it out and it was fun. Um, the Monero Economic Work Group was interesting. It was a couple of people in the community that were very interested in um, who was going to provide input to Monero's economy. And when I, when I say economy, I think their primary goal was the um, design around um, the emission curve and, and what, if anything, changed with that. Um, also, like, you know, could there be subsidies for... Uh, participants in the in the community and they had uh, in the economy rather they, they had really good intentions but it's it, you know they they had this idea like you had to pay to join the Monero economic work group and then there would be meetings and there would be votes and all sorts of stuff and the biggest thing that they that they didn't realize and this was a massive early lesson in 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 governance was that they have no control or influence over what the developers do so some of the developers uh, were members of the Monero Economic Work Group, but when the Monero Economic Work Group took a vote on something, they actually were powerless. It's not like they could force the developers to do anything. Um, and so it was a really good early lesson on that. But what was really powerful was that the Monero Economic Work Group formed itself. There was no pushing. There was no, no one forced them to exist. Um, and they were self-governing. They were self-assembling. Um, and they, they just carried themselves. Um, and they eventually disbanded for a bunch of reasons. Um, I think probably because, you know, charging to be part of a work group is not the most sustainable way. Um, but it was still very, it, it was a, a fantastic early model that started to develop this idea of self-assembling work groups. Monero Research Lab had been self-assembling. Not initially. Initially, I got and found people, but then Shen pitched up. And then a couple of other people pitched up. Um, and, and it, you know, the Monero Economic Work Group was self-assembling. And so this formed 
the basis for what we have today, which is anyone can pitch up and form a work group. You want to do marketing? No problem. Form a work group. And that's why we have the Monero Outreach Work Group. You're worried about attackers and hackers? No problem. Form a work group. That's why we have the Monero, uh, the, the VRP work group, which is the vulnerability response process. Um, you're worried about malware? No problem. Like, let's find a way to tackle it. That's why we have the malware response work group. So anything like that you can imagine, people can form work groups for. Even the developers now are broken up into work groups. You have developers that focus on the core code, and that's like the core development work group. You have developers focused on the website. That's like the website work group. You've got developers focused on the GUI. That's the GUI work group. You've got developers focused on translations, and they've got their own work group with their own tools that they use. So work groups have been incredibly powerful, especially for managing um, different groups of people that want to do different things on this open source software and this ecosystem at large. Excellent. Thank you for the perspective on sort of Monero's community organization. On, on a similar note, um, you are a member of the Monero core team. We have uh, you know, another member of the Monero core team on here, Arctic Mine. We can speak to him in a few minutes. Um, but can you quickly describe the role of the Monero core team and how this has evolved over time? What do you see it? What do you see the role of the core team being now? And how do you expect it to progress into the future? Sure. So the, the core team's initial role, I think, was um, to shoot Monero. Um, and so that meant a lot of things. Um, it meant writing code. Um, Taco Time wrote a bunch of code. Noodle Doodle wrote code. I wrote code. Everyone wrote code um, that could. Um, and then there was this other role, which was like obvious stuff, like owning the domains. Who owns the domains? Um, who goes and owns the GitHub account, you know, how, how do we like prevent that from getting compromised? Um, and if we can't prevent it from getting compromised, if it doesn't compromise one day, like, you know, who, who takes responsibility for that? Um, and, and there's got to be some central cabal of that. There's no way to really do that in a truly decentralized community led way just yet. Uh, you know, you can't have a domain that's owned by a community at this stage. Um, so, so, you know, those are the basic things that, that, um, that they do. And really, I think the initial role was um, stewardship. And stewardship at that early stage meant a lot of do-it-yourself and a lot of go out and find people and ask them. So like the Monero Research Lab, those early days where I went and found Saray and Sarang, well, found Saray and Saray or Sarang, um, you know, those early days where it was like, like they, they didn't, dis they wouldn't have discovered, I mean, they might've discovered Monero, but chances are they would only have discovered Monero much later. So them discovering Monero early on was because as a core team, we identified a need and went out and found it. Um, that, that has changed significantly. I would say as a core team now, we maybe have, <clears throat> we have some, uh, our voice carries some weight in, as individuals. There's no doubt about that. But I mean, there are people who've been around for a long time whose voice carries weight and they're not part of the core team. Like Monero Moo, like Hike, um, you know, like a bunch of people. Um, so it's not, it's not that it's, that's the defining factor. I think literally the only thing that, that really the core team does nowadays is owns the GitHub repo um, and owns the domains and then handles financial stuff, very limited financial stuff. So 
paying for like the build servers um, and paying for like the CDN and a couple of those things, you know, we like someone's got to pay for those and we pay for those typically out of general donations. Or more recently, um, we, we've got either um, donate or that is sponsoring the server that uh, the Monero website and, and a lot of the key resources are served off of. And then Tari is sponsoring the CDN. Um, we haven't really started speaking about that. It's something that's just changed over the past couple of months. So we haven't needed to tap, needed to tap into the um, general donation fund for that. Um, but beyond that, there's nothing, you know, we don't make decisions. Um, we don't really decide anything. Um, as individuals, we can participate in things. So um, apart from my role in the core team, I'm also the lead maintainer, which is a separate thing. Um, and so as the lead maintainer, I make suggestions about when we branch, when we tag releases, and all I make are suggestions. You know, if I say I think it's a good idea to tag on Tuesday, and everyone says, no, it's a bad idea, we should tag on Monday, I'm going to tag on Monday. I'm not going to do what I want to do. Um, so there's, you know, the, the roles are, we're, we're almost put in place, or we have authority that's relative, um, and it's relative because it's, we're given that that authority by the community um, when we don't have, we're not self-authorizing, we're not, uh, you know, we, we can't go and just do our own thing. Um, and really, given Monero's history and what happened early on, it's, we're in a, a position where if we take one false move and we aggravate the community too much, they will just fork away from us. They'll fork away uh from the core team and go set up different domains and, and different github repos um they'll fork away from the developers if they don't like what the developers are doing so our power and authority is relative and we're very cautious and careful um not to overreach um we have no control and that's the way we like it we're, it's not centralized in any way which is the way we prefer it all right, thank you so much, uh, Ricardo Fluffy Pony. Um, I'm glad that we were able to just sort of touch the surface here on some of Monero's early history. We really didn't get into anything really outside of 2014, uh, apart from a few things looking forward with the core team. So um, I'm glad you're able to set the perspective on Monero's early history. Uh, thank you so much for joining us and having that discussion with us.